Welcome to another episode of the Place OS podcast. In this episode, we talk to Nikki Greenberg. She is an architect by trade and is running a consultancy all about the future of real estate and property tech. Uh, very interesting conversation. We talk about trends in the industry, including automation, the possibilities of automation, some of the challenges in the industry when it comes to technology. We talk about generational differences. It's an interesting one. It's a it's a long one, but uh, one of the best we've done in a while. So stick with it and we'll as always produce some snippets if you want some easy to digest smaller bites on this but in the meantime check it out this is my interview with nikki greenberg trick people into teaching something <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and then they start you know they start peddling it out yeah. like yep yep that's stuck that's stuck so you're going to hear a few kind of interesting stats yeah by the end of it you'll be going home to your wife and saying honey guess what i learned we all need to spend more time on our phones yeah, Tip okay. one, we're not spending enough time on our phones. You think we're not spending enough time? She, she would love that, by the way. She works in, um, in fashion PR, so she's, we're always sort of fighting that she's not off her phone ah. <laughs> watching a movie or something and she'll be on her phone. And she's, her excuse is it makes her money because she's selling things. And I'm like, oh, fair enough. I, I like money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I support that, but it, it's still uh, yeah. something that comes up all the time. Have you looked at your phone to see how much time you spend? Or between the two of you, do I, you know? I, I have – she doesn't because she's too scared to know how long she spends on Instagram. Um, I do every now and again and, and I, I have actually deleted Instagram when I see it's spiked. I don't delete my account, just the app itself so I'm not distracted and I try to put something a bit more educational or practical where the icon used to be for Instagram. <laughs> like I'm trying to learn Portuguese so I'll put oh, yeah. like the Duolingo app where Instagram used to be and do that for 10 minutes instead of Instagram but – but then obviously I travel or something and I want to post a photo and I'm like, oh, I better download the app again. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and That's just, it. And it, it, the cycle starts over. Well, this is the thing and this is what I talk about a bit and I hope that you will agree with me on this. Yep. We need to use our phones more. Yep. Do you want to know why? I, I, why, why I have my own sort of thoughts on why. I'd love to hear your I mean, thoughts. I would like it if people use their phone more because the for what we do in Smart Workplace – we can drive experiences more effectively if 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 someone has a device that's trackable and we can have context-aware user interfaces load on that device as they navigate a building. So it helps. It's like a controlled environment if the phone is on them and, and actively used. Um, you probably have a much more interesting, maybe even academic answer to this question, why we should use our phone more. Or maybe not. But I like that. I like that your phone is your personal computer that's always on you and therefore it moves with you, you know, with yourself, with your mind, with your being. But the reason that I say that we need to use our phones more is because of Generation Z. Are you familiar with Generation Z and what they're about? What, what age group would you define that as? So Generation Z, they're born between 95 and 2010. Yeah. So little bit of overlap with young millennials, but they have certain attributes. And the first attribute, which is super important and very relevant to us when we think about real estate, spaces, workplace, etc., is that on average, they're spending five hours a day on their phones. Yeah, okay. 26% of them are spending 10 hours a day on their phones. Now, the thing about them is that they're digitally native. They haven't known a world before the internet. So what we're seeing is that this generation that's coming out, and they're the largest global population group, so don't think they're not important. Not only are they the future, but they're the now. They're using their phones a lot. Yep. And and 
What about multiple devices? Do you think they're only using their phone rather than their phone, their laptop and an iPad? Like, I, observationally, and I don't yes. have the, the data to back this up, but uh, when I go around to workplaces and they talk about generational differences, I sort of sense that I, – I, I've sort of seen that it's the, it's the baby boomer generation that's more likely to have all of their devices and multiple devices where – the younger generations might turn up with just a moleskin journal and a phone. So, <laughs> going going analog. Yeah, yeah going they're, they're more likely to go analog in, in many scenarios. Um, and it's it's I, I would guess that the next sort of step with that is sort of the post-mobile and, and technology being more embedded in, in either themselves through some other device or, or integration or these buildings or the space that they're in has the technologies the other way around. You don't carry the technology, the the operating system is the building. That's mm. that's the area we're sort of trying to tease out and, and understand. And uh, we, we don't look at the generational differences as much as we probably should in our user experience scoping. And I, so that's that's obviously one of mm. your areas right now, isn't it? And, and um, you're, yeah. you're presenting on this at uh, various conferences. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I might go back to your idea. You know, I love this idea that the environment is a technology because yeah. when we think about who we are as human beings, is that we're a product of our environment. So if we're living in the jungle, we're going to have certain tools, certain diets, certain ways of being. We're living in a technical age now. So you're right. Why do we need to carry the tool with us? Why can't the, yeah. the environment be the tool that you interact with? And, you know, in speaking to a lot of people, there's a lot that's happening in terms of, you know, being able to use voice communication, yeah. gestures, the natural way of speaking and interacting that's going to enable this in an even greater level. Yeah. You know, you're not going to be conscious of Siri and Alexa and Google Home being in the background. You're just going to have a conversation with this invisible being in the room, yeah. not having to pick up the phone, press the button, go, hey, Siri, hey, Siri, hey, Siri. Never understands my accent. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know how these things are. And, and yeah, it's the, the next type of interface is not the graphical user interface we're used to. It's not the apps. It's, it's, it's more... Sometimes there'll be uh, like there'll be touch panels or interfaces around us that give us feedback. So like uh, some context-aware feedback based on what we're doing. Instead of let's say let's say you're booking this room, you had to book this room to to set up this meeting. Uh, you probably had to search for type of space, size of space, uh, what type of facilities you need. These are all inputs and maybe five, six, seven touches deep, but it should sort of be more predictive on what you need and just give you an, op an option or two. And that's the context-aware interface that comes to you automatically with maybe a final confirmation, but not all the other steps that we typically have to do in apps today. And voice has a huge part of that because you can talk to the system and then at some point you might need to see something visually or you might need to confirm something on, on, a, sc on a screen. And uh, that, that's where we're at right now as well. So, like, even commercially in, in commercial meeting rooms and things like that, everything has voice built in today. Like, you can start a video conference call by talking to your Cisco codec and then telling it to close the blinds and it can then send you messages in Slack to say, are you sure? And things like that. So, I, I, I don't pretend to know where this is going in terms of interface but I've always been interested in interface as a concept not just uh, a graphical app or something like that. Yeah well I think this is the thing I mean that's the perfect personal assistant when it can anticipate your every need and I'm saying it because I don't think we should talk about technology like it's a he or she or a living yep. being because it's not. Yeah. 
What what we want is it's, it's not yet, and it won't be for quite some time, I think. And nor should it ever be. Yeah. Nor should it ever be. You know, as as people, we tend to put these attributes on other beings. We yeah. tend to see faces where there aren't faces, so that we can find a way of relating to things. But technologies, technology, it doesn't. Um, it it responds to our needs. But it's not a it's not a living being. It's something that we can program to serve certain functions. But um, I'm, I'm digressing a bit. I think what I believe and where I see things heading, and I was quite fortunate to be on a panel last week um, with a few people that work in robotics and yep. in service robots, which was which was really wonderful. And we were talking about concepts of empathy. You know, can robots be empathetic? But really, it's that we put these attributes onto them. So. The question around what will these workspaces be like, what will some of these places be like, how can they be responsive to us, is that it's really about ease and it's about the path of least resistance. So for us, our easiest way of communicating or getting something done is a little bit old-fashioned. It's having a conversation, especially a face-to-face conversation because we can get so much out of it. We can read so much into it rather than going through 15 different clicks to try and find something and then send it through. So when our, when our environments start to be able to do that in a similar way, in the same way that we communicate in our most natural way, it's going to be quite interesting. Yeah, I, I also like the idea of um, technology just being a tool, but the interface can still be a, a human in, in many scenarios. And, and the one that comes for mind, uh, to mind for me is uh, like uh, concierge and... Uh, you know, a visitor, a visitor workflow through a building is, is that we have all these tools that could automate all of that, but people still like interacting with the person, and the tools just makes that interaction even better if you have the, uh, you know, more informed information about who's coming to the building, mm. uh, what what their favourite coffee is, greet them by. Name. Uh, by name. Thank you for coming back, Mr. and Mrs. Yeah. So-and-so. Or maybe there's a there's a tick on there to say, well, this person's extremely uh, introverted and just wants to get to a room, don't talk to them. <laughs> like <laughs> like personal, personalization based on the, the, the automation possibilities yeah. but still having a person um, do well, that, that, what people are good at, interacting. Yeah. Well, do you think maybe in that scenario, do you think that's maybe a mixture of also including emotional intelligence yeah. to understand and, again, anticipate what people are wanting but through their responses? Yeah. Well, yeah, and this sometimes people are really bad at this as well. Maybe in, in some of their scenarios, automation mm-hmm. and robots would be better. Like there's, there's many – I travel a lot for work, so quite often I'm going to hotels and I'm checking in at, at weird hours – and in those moments, you don't want to have a, you don't want to have small talk. I don't think anyone would, not even the most extreme extroverted person. You just want to get to your room and have a shower. But then you have someone who's going through their script at the at the the concierge at the hotel, or the check in at the hotel, and you you like really can you not tell that I just want to get going? Just take my credit card <laughs> or like charge me automatically. Just give me the room key as soon as possible. Where like obviously th- that person's in that scenario is lacking common sense but common sense can be programmed and maybe easier to program common sense into into a robot than a than a human well i think i think this is the thing and this is where it becomes interesting when we start talking about service robots and when we start talking about the service industry and when we start talking about the role of people 
Yeah. And something that I've been talking about for a while is I do a keynote called What Will Buildings Be Like When Robots Take Over? Yeah. And it's a little bit tongue in cheek. Um, I gave a presentation to some students from a Canadian university last week. And before I even started, I put up the slide and one of the students popped his hands up and he said, I object to this. I'm like, why? He's, he's like, he's like, why are the robots taking over? Like, what's going to happen to us? You know, the robots are going to take our jobs. They're going to be doing this. I'm like, well, I don't know about you, but I'm happy for a robot to take my job. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, seriously. So, and, well, robots have been taking our jobs for a very long time. And, and we still work probably more hours than we ever have. And... Uh, the jobs will just change. We just don't know what those new jobs are. Well, well, they evolve. And I give the example of architecture. I'm an architect by trade. So when I was at university, I started drafting by hand. And then it became 2D CAD, 3D CAD, BIM, digital twins, etc. Yeah. Architects didn't go out of business yeah. at all. Architects are still around. But what they produce is so much better, so much more sophisticated And these models that architects are using are then handed over to others within the development process and operations process, just make everything a lot smarter. But what I believe the difference is, is that as we become more and more tech savvy, is that the expectation rises. We want the technology to be able to do more. We expect a lot more out of people. Faster, better, stronger, cheaper, everything. Everything. Yeah, and, and I mean the the trend has always been that the easy to automate things are typically in the area of admin. Like every job has admin, uh, from data entry to to yeah uh, CAD drawings. It's it's all yeah. admin related. And I, if you can just yeah. you know be shifting towards thinking and less admin work and, and delegate as much as you can until you can't delegate to the machine anymore, and whatever you can't delegate to the machine is now your job. Yeah, I, I'll tell you. Um, let me. I'll ask you. You might know the answer to this one. What's one of you're the always, mo- you're always quizzing me? Ah, <laughs> no, I know. Well, what what is one of the most mundane tasks, admin tasks, that AI has not been able to figure out? Uh, well, I I know that it's very hard to fold sheets for a robot for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> it is for people too. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's actually scheduling meetings. Yeah, sure. Because people are so ambiguous about what they're saying and yeah. just non-committal, et cetera. So there's a few different platforms, just can't figure it out. So, yeah. I mean, not a robot p- problem, people problem. So if somebody can crack that, we all schedule meetings all the time. Yeah. There's different things out there. Doodle, good luck getting everybody to complete the doodle before it expires. Exactly. It's, you know. Yeah. It's a people problem. Yeah, and, and I guess that's there's so many um, possible outcomes with that because like you start adding different attendees, like the, even the, mat, the maths of that compounds and gets extremely complex. And then when you in, introduce time zones, uh, meeting rooms, it doesn't surprise me that's that's a hard one to get. Yeah, yeah. it's it's more people just not responding yeah. or being oh I don't know That's maybe right. or you know let's see what everyone else does. Changing if you, if you could around. force the the people to all just say here's my availability. But that's, that's only one – yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a very complicated problem. Well, this is the thing, and I think it kind of comes down to the fundamentals of everything tech-related. When we look at a problem, we need to think about, you know, is the solution high-tech, low-tech, or no-tech? And often yeah. the solution is no-tech. You know, in my situation, what I've decided to do to help me with scheduling meetings is that I have office hours. 
So people know that this, you know, on a Tuesday between this time and this time, this is when I'm available. Yeah. No technology in that. Simple. Yeah. We can always find ways. Yeah. And then personal preference. I, I would always rather someone just try me with a meeting request. So then if it works, I hit yes. But, but other people hate that. Oh, I hate that I do that. So it's, it's, it's very complicated. So what do you think is the best use of automation right now? If that's like one of the hardest things left to do in terms of admin, what's, what have you seen? And, and you know, let's relate it to, uh, to property in some way that uh, w- the robot's taken over and it, it's doing a great job. I think we're not seeing it enough at the moment, at least not in the spaces that I'm in, because when I go into different spaces, it's still a mixture of this hybrid kind of clumsiness where I have a situation where I'm talking to people too long, I'm repeating processes, etc. What I think needs to happen in a lot of spaces is that there has to be a step back, whether it's if we just use a hotel check-in as an example. Let's take a step back and look at the full consumer journey. Why am I giving my name at so many different touch points? Yeah. Why can't my profile be carried over? If I'm booking a, you know, a flight, why can't it then go through? It should know all of my preferences. What I would like to see, and I'm going to stick on the theme of the hotel, um, I visited you know, a couple of days ago the new Equinox Hotel at Hudson uh, yeah. Yards. H- have you had a chance to go in? I haven't seen it, but I've seen a few videos. It looks nice. Yeah, so it's a really sexy space. It's a hotel that's based on the Equinox gym brand, which is you know very, very juicy and has a you know strong following. There's, there's a couple of interesting observations that I had about it. Obviously, it's beautiful, and there's no denying that, and it's really geared towards the wellness traveler that wants to go to the gym and look after themselves. The rooms are absolutely stunning, and it has an iPad that controls the lighting levels and the music and so on and so forth, all the things that you'd expect. However, they have decked out a lot of the shelves in the room with merchandise. And it might be protein bars or different types of shakes or workout gear and blah, 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 blah. And it was my sister staying at the hotel and I said to her, does, does this disturb you that half of your room is it's like you're sleeping in a shop? And she's like, no, no, I like that it's been curated, etc." Yeah, okay. But really, there can be a huge level of customization when you do want to bring together a hybrid experience between retail, hospitality, um, you know, the domestic, etc. Why Why does the room not know already, okay, this traveler is coming in from London. She came on this flight. She has not slept. She's here for business. Let's anticipate her needs. Let's find out exactly. We could even ask yeah. her a short survey of do you have dietary preferences or looking at what she ordered before to understand if she had certain intolerances or whatever without crossing over to being creepy. But it's kind of sitting in a little bit of this no man's land where they've just dabbled, but they yeah. haven't gotten there. I, I think it's, it's hard to achieve in something like a hotel, anything that it's the general public coming in and booking your services. It's easier to do some of that dream scenario in environments that are much more controlled. And the only one that really exists right now is the workplace. Uh, and this, this can lead to interesting topics on um, how much privacy we give up to achieve um, you know, more seamless user experiences. Yeah. Yeah. But in the workplace, everyone gives up their privacy uh, because you have to to work there. You know? So 
I'm not talking about where we are right now, like this is a co-working space and Kaveen, but, uh, but let's say you work for PwC, uh, you sort of have to sign away your privacy at work in, in, in a sense. Mm. So uh, all the typical IT systems are, are collecting data on all the users, even if that organisation isn't using it in any way. It might just be the consequence of logging into a computer. There's a digital sort of track of where that computer has been and who's using it. But it, because that whole environment is controlled from the, the user, the Active Directory, the user logins, the devices are all managed and owned by the organisation, the network is owned by the organisation, the spaces, the rooms, down to the furniture, is all owned, managed and operated by PwC as that scenario, meaning we, we can control that ecosystem in a way that if this was in the general public it would be impossible because we, yeah, we can have user profiles because every employee by default has a user profile. They, they use it to check their email. They use it to log uh, leave requests in the HR system. And all of that data is there available to, to pull out and, and, and do something with. So I, I can't get my head around how we could have the same sort of luxury of all, the, all this available data in the public space without having some standardization, which means we're giving up privacy not to a, a workplace we trust, you know, I work for, if I work for PwC, I, that's fine. I, I trust them. They, you know, that's where I work. But you know, the closest thing to that is either Google or Facebook in terms of authentication. So, like, you know, we all log in. Uh, well, maybe not, 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 not anymore. <laughs> but a lot of us have used Facebook to log into other applications, as an example. So, the more you do that, with the more possibilities we have of tracking your preferences. Um, but that that yeah. trend, the trend that the trust isn't there anymore, and yeah. therefore we can't leverage that in, in a hotel scenario. Well, I, th- I think this is very interesting, and I like. Okay, let's bring it into the workplace where you're at. It's a controlled environment. You you own, you control the different touch points. You are securing your own data and privacy. You have policies in place. This is a great scenario. There's a few things that's pretty interesting in that because firstly, and I'm going to go back to my favorite Gen Z, they're asking for personalized experiences. Yeah. And the question around personalized experiences is how do you have a personalized experience without giving up your privacy? Yeah. So this is the scenario. Now, when we look to the, um, when we look to the landlord side, what they're trying to do is they're trying to optimize the use of their space. In order to do this, you always want to know who your customer is. And the more you can understand the use of different spaces, which spaces are underutilized, the time of day, and any other different trends, you can start to have a fantastic experience. And you can also find opportunities to monetize things that you might not have. And something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is when we look at e-commerce and when we look at games, there's a very different revenue model to the way that we uh, that the way that real estate operates, you know, in in real estate you might own a space, or more often you'll lease a space, and you might have somebody in that space managing it. So that doesn't really happen anywhere else. Yeah. When when we look at retail, you can purchase something, you can hire something, you can have a freemium model where you get something for free and you can top up. Why don't we see that in real estate? You know, that you can have an entry level and you can get a little top up. That maybe for a day, if you're in, say, a beautiful co working space, you can say, Well, you know what? Today I want to feel like I'm the, you know, the big boss of the town. I want to sit in, 
You know, I want to sit on the top level. I want to have a huge room to myself, sit in a room, smoke a cigar, and I'll give up 20 credits for it that I've earned through giving up my privacy so that somebody could actually understand my needs better. Yeah. I, I think particularly workplaces right now, modern workplaces, uh, particularly the ones that need to be competitive in, in the sense that they're competing for, you know, a, a small pool of talent. So, like, uh, consulting firms, business consulting firms, accounting firms, anyone that hires, you know, thought leaders or thought positions. Uh, they understand that their employees want personalization. At least some of them do. And I'm seeing that trend. Um, it's, they're basically our clients. I mean, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we don't have a huge adoption. We're, we're, we're relatively small and, and new, particularly to this market. But the ones that approach us are the ones that are thinking along these lines. How do we personalize the experience as much as we can uh, and what are the dependencies to do so and that the dependency is all the technical stuff all the integration but also the the user giving up some level of privacy or at least uh, the perception of privacy because maybe that data is already there just now we're using it for something and they're aware that they had the data in the first place and yeah I still think we'll see really interesting examples of that maybe even that example of uh you know, every Friday, anyone who wants to use their credits can book the CEO's office because he doesn't work on a Friday. Or <laughs> <laughs> he's on his yacht and you can <laughs> use the, the office. And, and things like that actually, not that specifically, but, you know, things just as uh, that sound like icing on the cake features become the focus in a lot of our meetings now. Uh, and, and we do have customers on a, on a, on a point system and you, you get points for being a good uh, citizen of the workplace for, for uh, or you can give points to someone for doing a good job and then you can redeem these points for these these bonuses these things that are sometimes fun and interesting um, and ev there's even some offices that are like taking wellness and fitness to new levels and putting rock climbing walls in the inside their office so you can climb up to your meeting room and <laughs> there's lots of cool stuff going on but yeah. in pockets because there is no standard standardization in, in any of this um, but yeah doing this Publicly, I think hotels are, are ripe for this sort of stuff because they have some level of, of control of the, of the environment. It's, it's a semi-managed environment like the workplace. Uh, but retail, retail's where there's so many uh, companies trying to do innovative things in retail, but I haven't really seen that a good example of innovation in retail, particularly physical retail. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's interesting because... With hospitality and retail, you have to refurbish very frequently. It's usually, I believe that hotels are on a seven-year cycle and retail, I believe, is three to five years for a fit-out. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of retail innovation in more of an experiential direction and I'm expecting that more real estate, more workplace is going to follow in a different, in a similar direction okay. where you have this merging of the or an expected merging of the digital and physical experience yeah so recently i'm sure you saw in the headlines that fifth wall announced a hundred million dollar fund to encourage online retailers to have a bricks and mortar presence yeah which is almost you know kind of flipping the script that it's used to be the other way that yeah. physical retailers would go digital but now it's gone the other way around what we've been seeing for a while already in New York is that a lot of bricks and mortar shops are experiential because you're going to buy it online anyway. 
So why yeah. not have a great experience, fall in love with a brand, just try things on and so on and so forth. You don't need to have full inventory there. It's a showroom. Yeah, I feel like they uh, a lot of retailers used to compete with that. Yeah, that showrooming um, was they saw as like a, a negative thing and now the early adopters embraced it and, and, and show that it, it's, you know, it's, it's the best possible way of doing it. Well, that's it. Now it's about driving foot traffic and an association with a brand in a premium position. Yeah. Um, and, and look, I think there's some interesting things going on. Some of it can be a little bit gimmicky. There's yeah. a, a clothing store at Union Square where you come in and there's a laundromat at the back of the store because they figured that with there being a large student population, people need to do their laundry anyway. So <laughs> why not come into a shop? They have a little co-working space, some desks within it. Yeah. It's an interesting model. I can't report back on how profitable it is. Yeah. But at least they're trying something out. And that store, it's still there. It's got a bit of pressure. Yeah, it has that, a following. This is the tricky thing with retail. How does it become more than just, you know, a, a marketing gimmick and become something that's actually, you know, operational and scalable and, and uh, you know, ingrained in their business, not just uh, mm-hmm. something that they're showing off in a in in a retail store. Well, well, I think it's because I think it's because now the whole model's been disrupted, yeah. and not just in retail, but also in in restaurants. And in restaurants, I'll talk, you know I'll kind of yeah. flip it over a bit, but it's a very similar scenario. What's been coming into um, you know the popular vernacular now is dark kitchens and ghost kitchens, where essentially if you're ordering a meal online, you might order a salad. From, you know, from Papa's Pizza, whatever, to have it delivered. Papa's Pizza doesn't exist. It's just, it's an app and there's a kitchen that's down in a basement somewhere where the real estate is cheaper and that's where it gets picked up. So really what we're seeing is that these commodities, they have a digital presence. It's about branding. It's about marketing. It's about how you feel about the brand and really where you're procuring your items from is it's a basement somewhere. It's a fulfillment center. Yeah. It's a dark kitchen. So the nature of things is changing. And from a real estate perspective, it's fantastic because you can use your prime real estate for yeah. prime things and your storeroom and where everything is kept well, is, is somewhere else. Isn't the real dream, particularly for the, the real estate operators, um, to have all of this in their, in their precinct? You know, So have the, the workplaces, the residential, the hospitality that has access to the... Uh, what was your phrasing? The ghost kitchens. Yes. Um, has access to the ghost kitchens. Some of the supply could be from the 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 farm on the rooftop. Mm-hmm. Like having this complete uh, system. But again, I think the challenge is not so much the technology, more than someone has to overarchingly own this whole thing to make it happen. Well, well, we've been talking about it for a very long time, and, yeah. the, ter- and the term is the vertical city. Yeah. But for a long time, we haven't been able to do it because everybody's competing for that prime ground level shop front yeah. to have their restaurant or their retail or, you know, on the second floor to have your to have your offices, etc. But when you can start putting things into the less desirable space because it's underground or it's closer to the core yeah. away from the windows, then you're actually maximizing your footprint. And then as a result you can start thinking about how do you start programming this building so that you can have different functions for different user groups at different times of day. So it's always thriving. Here I'll switch to another another scenario. But for so, example... So who has to drive that though, do you think? The, the real estate, um, the operators, the, the people leasing out the building? Or it's got to be a community and 
that, that's the thing I still can't get my head around. How yeah. do we make this happen? Uh, who are the stakeholders that make it happen? It, it comes from a few different prongs, and I had a meeting earlier today about this, actually. Um, I co-chair the ULI, the Urban Land Institute uh, Real Estate Technology Council, and one of the things that we were talking about with the leadership of the New York Council is how can we be involved in the discussion as a real estate industry, we want to be able to bring in innovation. As a tech council, we want to be able to bring in innovation. Yeah. We need the real estate industry to understand what this changing landscape is. But more than that, we also need the legislators to understand what it is and that it's okay. Because you can have the greatest ideas in the world, but if it's not permitted, if it's not permitted by zoning or if there's yeah. advocate groups that are against it, not because it's a bad thing, but because it's new or it's not well understood, you're going to get a lot of pushback. So really the drivers are twofold. I'd like to say threefold, you know. Number one, people. It's a mindset. I find that places like Singapore, the mindset is very open to technology and innovation. Wonderful. It's the real estate developers that understand that they're building a legacy, not just turning a profit. In Sydney, we have, um, you know, the wonderful Central Park development by Fraser's. Yeah. That's, that's a great example with Dr. Quek as the visionary pushing for something very different and innovative. But then also at the city level, you do need innovators there that are also going to understand, look, our rules aren't necessarily serving us. There's so much opportunity here in innovating. This is a little bit of a dream because there's a lot of stakeholders. Yeah. It's, it's risky. We are seeing examples of more innovative models as, you know, as we've described with, you know, co-living, co-working, ghost kitchens, you know, drones are coming. It's, it's a very um, different landscape that we're in at the moment. I, I feel your role in all of this as a consultant working at that level is extremely important because, because of even the simple things of engagement, like... Uh, and for, uh, and I'm drilling down on this because yeah. because of my own experience trying to sell a platform that in many cases originally we're pitching it for maybe let's say just six or seven features. Each one of those features has a different stakeholder who you know would probably just be looking at that only and doesn't care about the other the other five. So the more features you add, the more complexity the the purchasing becomes because. It, it, it crosses over what typically might be five or six different tenders. And there's no role at in a lot of these projects that should be there. There should be like these roles that are overarching and, and so you can eliminate this process of, of each feature being a different tender because there's not you need something above that to show the benefit of it being a platform, not six or seven different products. And and sometimes like we get watered down to just one feature because we only um, or our partners only won the job that one tender because the rest went to other products but we still got this but the whole benefit was the fact that we could do the whole thing and it just gets really uh, sort of mixed up and watered down it's not always the case but this is typically the larger the, the, the more building related it is the more real estate related it is that that seems to be the problem if it's just a workplace uh, and the, the you know an island of technology in their own tenancy that's not going out to the rest of the building, uh, that's not so much an issue. But, but that in itself mm -hmm. is the issue, that we need to go into the building and into the precinct. So I, I don't have an answer to this. I just feel like the industry is not where the technology is. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good summary. The industry is not where the technology is. And I think that can be said for almost every single industry at the moment. Yeah, of course. There, there, there are no exceptions, real estate especially, because there is a longer development process. Um, it has been a little bit slower to adopt. But I do believe what you're describing about the difficulties in trying to coordinate everything at a larger scale that's always existed. It starts at the biggest scale, which is town planning, down yeah. into urban design, into architecture, and so on and so forth. So when we design something from scratch, I started my career in urban design, and I've always worked on mixed-use master plan developments, which do have highly complex yeah. programming requirements and a lot of stakeholders from different sides of um, you know, from you know, from government, from um, you know, from consultants to you know, to the developer themselves, community groups, everybody with conflicting priorities and overlapping priorities. These bu- buildings are very complex thing. Yeah. So it happens anyway that there's a negotiation process. But what I'd love to see more of, and this is where I'm very passionate about driving the conversation around technology and innovation, is that you really want to be having this discussion early on. You really want to be, when you find a site, you go, all right, let's get cracking on this. You're going, okay, what do we want to build? We've decided it's the mixed-use master plan. It's going to have eight stages, different releases at this time. No, no, no. We're going to have retail, commercial. We're going to have an innovation precinct, whatever that might be, so on and so forth. It's like, okay, well, hold on a sec. We're planning all of this stuff. We're thinking about the programming of it. We're thinking about the users. This is going to be delivered maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 years into the future. But this needs to serve us for the next 50 to 100 years. But we need to be thinking about what are the innovations that are coming? Where are the ghost kitchens? Are ghost kitchens going to be a thing in five years? Yeah. What about co-living, co-working? This is an interesting point in in general that the the time scale of of the building industry is is measured in – in you know five years at a time you know yes. five ten years and that's a very hard um, thing to predict the technology so it it's that's part of the problem I think is how do you know what the technology is and so how do you design for the future technology that we don't know you design for flexibility and this isn't a new concept this is a concept that you know that has been around for a long time so Modular is an obvious one because you're designing and prefabricating components that get stuck together. But also if you know that you're designing with flexibility and change of use in mind, then you can make certain decisions. So I'll give you one little example that sums things up a little uh, pretty well. Car ownership is going down. But there's still a requirement for buildings to have a certain number of parking spaces. So a lot of developers are designing and building new developments with these parking spaces that they know they don't need. A small little hack to be able to design for reuse is that when you're having your ramps, have a ramp and then go to a flat because where you have a flat, then you can use that as a space. You can use that as a room or can put something there. If it's ramped all the way, then you have to do a lot more work to adapt that later on. Sure. That's one example. So so building car parks with the plan on, on replacing them in the in the future probably yes absolutely yeah. but what you want to be able to do is understand well what are the options what can you actually put in this car yeah. park in the future um ghost kitchens are actually something you can put in there i didn't think it was possible because of the exhausting but you can so if you if you design with flexibility and redundancy in mind 
it, it's possible, but you want to be able to have an eye on the trends, on the, an eye on what's possible. And also you want to be able to bring in the discussion early because when you have a change of use, you're going to have different requirements. So another, another, popular, um, another popular change of use for car parks is using them as fulfillment centers for packages. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, in the past year in the New York market, it wasn't a great year for real estate, um, you know, for commercial, for retail, for residential, all the numbers went down, but numbers went up for industrial, yep. which is kind of strange because we've spent all this time in New York and in Brooklyn converting warehouses <laughs> into into yep. residential properties yep. and into these beautiful lofts, etc. Now we're like, well, actually, hold on a sec, we need these warehouses. They're, they're, they're <laughs> going to bring us a lot of money. Um, so fulfillment centers um, and last mile delivery, etc. is a hot topic. Okay, great. So you're going to use the, um, you know, the parking lots and you're going to use these as fulfillment centers. But what you need to think about now is, well, like, hold on a sec, now you're going to have delivery vans coming in and out all through the day. So what's your, what's your parcel pickup area going to be like? What's your loading dock going to be like? How can you accommodate the different vehicles? What is your traffic management plan for the future yeah. even though you don't know what it's going to be. But you're going to have to take a pretty wild guess. That's an interesting one from New York because just walking around the streets here and you see almost every block in the middle of the day will have a delivery van pulled over with boxes all over the street because they, they have to. It's a, there's a high-rise that they're all going to, so they have to find somewhere close enough to, you know, not every building has uh, an accessible loading dock for them. And it's you just... It's amazing to see if you've never seen before, like the, all of these deliveries just spread out over over like Prince Street in, in Soho is what I saw yeah. earlier today. Yeah, yeah. It's just all these boxes are just like all, you know, all over the sidewalk and, you know, people just like, you know, manually packing and unpacking and trying to like, you know, push these carts along the yeah. cobblestone streets. And, and it's just it's, usually it's, it's one, one person on their own as well. Like it, it yeah. just looks like a nightmare sort of job to have. <laughs> I don't want to be doing that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's that's an example of, yeah. you know, buildings being too inflexible to accommodate the changing use. And the unfortunate thing is that too many buildings at the moment aren't being designed for change of use or with a real discussion around, well, what's coming and how do we prepare for it? And an obvious one really being parcel delivery. Yeah. That we're still seeing a lot of scrawny little post boxes going into into residential lobbies, if you take it to the residential scale, because there's a requirement to have post boxes for everybody of a certain size and at a certain height and yeah. so on and so forth that the problem really is that people are having sofas and carpets and refrigerators delivered and, yeah. you know, trees delivered by, by Amazon. They're, they're selling everything. So how's it going to get into the building? Where's it going to stay? And then how's it going to get up to your apartment? And just, just the volume of deliveries that is going to continue to increase. Just Great. where yes. everyone does their, well, you know, most people probably already do their grocery shopping online. But that alone is <laughs> enough to like increase to make a noticeable, you could observe it just walking around how many deliveries there are. And like last time I was in New York, there was, I, I didn't notice it as much. So like it, you can just see it happening, which is an interesting challenge that, you know, e-commerce has led to. Well, that's it. And it really, it impacts on all touch points in real estate because you have it at the receiving end when a building's receiving the parcel, yeah. you have it at the sender's end. But also you have it, say, within a store, we have certain platforms that where people will go shopping for you. 
So they then, you know, you'll have pickers that take stuff off the shelves or from, from the storerooms that needs to be picked up and so on and so forth. So again, you need to think about what is that experience like for somebody that's doing the pickup and the delivery? Because at the moment, they're coming in through the front door, which wasn't designed to have delivery drivers coming backwards and forwards. There's nowhere for them to park. They're getting fines. They're annoying pedestrians. They're annoying other vehicles because there's not a spot for them. And yet we're designing these buildings and these cities in the exact same way without actually considering what we already see is a huge change, but we're designing the same way. Are you optimistic that it's changing fast enough or do you think um, this is always going to be a problem in the building industry that we're that, that comment I made earlier that mm-hmm. the technology, uh, like the business, the process isn't there, but the technology is, or the industry is not ready for the technology. Is that gap going to close? Is it closing? Uh, or will it always be a little bit behind? I think, look, I'm always optimistic about things, but I think we're going to continue to see a little bit of a big mess as the industry is slow to recognize the huge changes that have happened. But this has always happened. You know, you see a lot of buildings that have strange retrofits on them and it's, it's part of the city. Yeah. Yeah. I like your point of view from uh, the town planning. Like, of course it's always been complicated and, and expanding precincts and towns and cities is uh, there's, there's everyone's involved, every stakeholder within, within those borders. So, it's not a new challenge. It's just the technology uh, maybe is... I think the technology, in my opinion, the technology every year is getting faster in this area, uh, particularly of if, if we go back to your topic of robots taking over. Uh, there's so many changes in that area alone, the, the possibilities for automation um, that, we, yeah, that we're working on, that we see in the industry with our, with our partners and we get sort of a sneak peek at things from Cisco and Microsoft and it's, it's incredible what has happened in the last little while. But, um, but maybe it hasn't happened as fast as we thought, but it's catching up now. It's, it's, it's all just a matter of perception. Yeah, it's, it's a matter of perception, but it's also a matter of seeing how far we've come in such a short amount of time. And I love looking back to the cartoon The Jetsons yeah. and seeing some of the wacky stuff that they were thinking about, you know, watching, a, watching TV on your watch or yeah. you know, working out in front of a mirror or, you know, having flying, flying vehicles. And like this, this stuff is here. Yeah. It's, it's already here, but it's not the first time that we've had technological changes. We went from a horse and buggy to having cars and somehow the roads had to adapt and they did. Yeah. And it took a while before they put in traffic lights and stop signs and actually had road rules, but it came. You yeah. know, people people. Yeah, learn. maybe people. we're expecting things to happen all of a sudden, but that has never been the case, so it's <laughs> unlikely to be the case going forward. Yeah, look, I think as long as we have an eye on some of the bigger issues relating to um, security, to privacy, to yeah. health, to wellness, to, um, you know, looking after citizen society at large, you know, trying not to blow our planet up or having it burned down because of global warming. If we can look after these big life-threatening things, I think that's important. I think that is the role that government needs to play and catch up on, uh, you know, equally that we don't all lose our money because, you know, cyber criminals have come in and, you know, ransacked our accounts or, you know, or all the rest. 
the other stuff, we'll, we'll figure it out. We're adaptable. It's not going to be perfect. But as we see with every generation of yeah, an iPhone or a Mac or even, you know, different uh, types of technologies, you can see how quickly it, it catches up and it adapts. And we as people adapt also. So I'm, I'm pretty positive about things. It's going to be a messy process, but it's also going to, we're going to work around it. Yep. Let, let's sort of start to wrap up a little bit. Uh, why, why are the two topics, for your areas of interest is robots taking over and uh, and the study of generations or generational differences in in the real estate industry or can you explain explain how that came about and why those two particular focuses yeah sure so last year I was doing a lot of talks around the world on the topic of as I said what will buildings be like when robots take over and it's really about questioning the role of where technology comes into these big clunky physical assets that we have what's the role of people what what does innovation look like and the key message there was just really to say well the future is now the technology is here already and from that I really gained an interest in talking about people's part in all of this as I mentioned before the big trend that we saw is that last year generation z became the largest global population group and the interesting thing is that in the next 10 years, along with millennials, they're going to make up 75% of the workforce. Yep. Did you know that? It, I've never thought about it, but of course, because they're the only generations left once the baby boomers and Gen X start to edge towards retirement. Well, this is the thing. So we're talking 75% of the workforce is going to demand a digital experience in everything. Expect it more than demand it, yeah. Expect it. If it's not there, they're not just going to be surprised, but they're yeah. not going to be able to operate. Sure. It's, it's taking somebody's hands away from them. It's taking their tools away from them. Yeah. And this is something that while we're talking about the technology, we're not talking enough, I feel, about the generational change and the users of this technology. Why I mentioned at the start of our talk about why we need to be using our phones more because Generation Z are, they're the early adopters. They're the ones that intrinsically understand technology. So if we see how they operate, if we look at what they're doing, me as a millennial and somebody that still carries a notebook and a pen around, and it will be a while before I lose that habit. Um, it's a hard one to break. Yep. It's, it's ingrained in me in my way of learning and thinking because that's Same my primary me. tool. Yep. But when you look at this generation that doesn't hold on to the old way of doing things, that they're purely digital, these are the trends that we need to be following. So I encourage people to get on their phones more, to get on social media more, to engage with the types of things that they're seeing and they're experiencing because this is second nature to them. It's not second nature to us necessarily, so but this should, is where it has to we go. We should all be on TikTok. We should all be... Should all be on TikTok. We should be vlogging our, our daily activities. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but it is. It's an experience of yeah. how do you experience the world and to experience it through through their eyes and through their experience and to not be scared of it. I think yeah. a lot of people have the perception that something like TikTok is, oh, but that's for the kids. Yeah, I mean, that's the target market, but doesn't mean that it's not for everybody. If that's the way that's one of the most popular communication tools, then we need to figure that, it yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly things uh, – I'm always interested in, in looking at the co consumer space and how we can apply it to, like, commercial buildings commercial workplaces and there's a lot of ideas you could you could borrow from 
many of these services that yeah. uh, the younger generation uh, are, are you on TikTok? I, I, I have it. I wouldn't say I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd be happy to share. I made one video on TikTok. I nickname it me trying every single feature there is. <laughs> and it's pretty fun. I'm happy to share it with you if you have space on, um, yeah. you know, on your podcast to share it. It's, it's a lot of fun. But you know, to be able to play with tools like augmented reality and music yeah. and to create something that's quite experiential and personal, the technology that's behind it is crazy good, yeah. crazy good. And when that starts to represent you as yourself – rather than the written word, which we're so used to via email yeah. or, you know, a little doodle, this is at a whole nother level. It's a good analogy. And, and if you think of um, in the corporate world, communication and, and video conferencing, it can be very clunky where if you're used to TikTok, it's instant. It's always there, it, high quality with filters, with, with fun little elements added to make it engaging yeah. Uh, of course, there's something to be learnt from that. And yeah, so yeah. I, I agree with your statement now that I've thought about it, uh, that we should all be on our phones a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I think, and you know, to that point, there is also within that sense of being, understanding perhaps it is also the future of meetings themselves and the future yeah. of how conference rooms are operating that we don't necessarily need to have these hour-long meetings to be able to portray something. What if it can just be portrayed through, you know, omni-channel experiences in 15 seconds or under because yeah. we can consume content a lot quicker. We can find information a lot quicker. You don't necessarily need to f explain out a full concept when you can just have a hyperlink to something or a link to a YouTube tutorial that kind of backs it up yeah. without having to have a huge executive summary. If you can sum things up in 15 seconds instead of 15 minutes, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the more I think about it, the more examples we give. Yeah, I'd rather a TikTok video than a, a messy inbox full of <laughs> emails I'm CC'd on and I haven't read yet. That's it. So, so now we'll know that's your preferred method. If anyone, if you're not getting back on email, just uh, slip into your TikTok stream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, what? I, I actually um, I, I made a comment about it. I wrote an article for PropMoto about um, Generation Z and within it I said, oh, you know, next thing we'll be seeing broker TikTok. Yeah. I released that on the – I released on um, in January. Two weeks later, a kiddie not, uh, Brian Serhant from Million Dollar Listing, the superstar broker. Uh, Two sure, weeks later, yeah. he's on TikTok. Uh, right. yeah. There you go. Predicted it. Yeah, but his, his, uh, his video content's – all over YouTube, right? So it's it's an easy transition once you start moving with uh, the platform. That's right. All the concepts are the same. You just produce the video, produce the content, and then just find how you adapt it for the new platform. Exactly, and and amp it up, amp it up. Get on get on the train, the communication train, yeah. and understand that as we were talking about earlier, to be able to communicate through through uh, gestures, voice, facial expressions, movement. This is a natural way. Um, what we're doing here, at least for us, we're sitting opposite each other at a table and we're having a conversation. The only difference is that it's being re being recorded, so neither of us are using four-letter words. Yeah. Um, but really what we're seeing is that… Uh, you're saying you normally would if the, <laughs> if the microphone wasn't turned on. <laughs> oh, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. But, you know, really what we're seeing is with, you know, platforms like YouTube. Now, you know, YouTube, you're creating a video. Yeah. With um, Instagram, you're creating a moment. With something like TikTok, well, you're creating a video, but with music, that music has to create emotion, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and, I mean the production and, value is quite high, and 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 usually you have to be doing something entertaining in the video as yes. well. So they're, they're, it's all very thought through. But, but um, yeah, I, I mean, even doing uh, talking head videos and and podcasts, I'm finding I'm connecting with people, and they they you know I can be authentic without. It's the, the alternative to this is me just doing more meetings with people, but rather just now I'm sort of having ideas and, and sharing them as I have them and getting feedback on that on social media. Um, and the ideas are through the... Like, I mean, we've mentioned five or six ideas and, like, maybe that turns into something because somebody listens to this and then reaches out and wants to implement some of the crazy stuff we've, we've come up with. So, yeah, I, I, I'm a believer in... Um, in in content as a as a and video content and, and and media content as a way of communicating ideas for sure and these new platforms are just different ways of doing it and I, I think it probably you know the progression of this probably started uh, with Gen Z with MTV and the uh, taking on that that video content that had three second cuts now three second cuts seems quite slow <laughs> when the whole video is three seconds now and yeah. that you upload. Well, that's it. It's a changing landscape and I'm quite excited to see where this um, experience that we have in media, how that then translates into the experience that we have in the virtual, in the not just the virtual environment, but in the digital um, experience that we carry through our physical spaces and that integration that we have. Yeah. Um, well, look, this is, we could talk all evening, <laughs> I think, but to wrap up the podcast, thank you for, for this and... Uh, is, I mean, are there any conferences coming up you want to plug? I think it's a little bit tough at the moment plugging the conferences with the coronavirus yeah. cancelling a few. So I'd like to wish everybody good health and be grateful that we can work remotely. Yes. So that might be, um, you know, one way of saving saving ourselves. Yeah, and, and Microsoft, was it today or yesterday, they announced that they're doing their conference virtually now. Amazing. So that they might see results in that and can to do that regardless uh, if post-coronavirus yep. when we if we get there hopefully that's soon. that's it well thank you so much for having me this has been an absolute delight thanks Nick.